Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Doggone 
Las Vegas Golden Knights, and the crazy part about the Golden Knights is it's kind of sad on why I remember and feel a certain way about this team, but I, I've, it's always been carried in my heart to see them do well. Like, I, of course, I'm a Ranger fan, and um, when they started that season, I think it was 2017, October 1st, that's when the massacre happened on the Strip. And I was already locked and loaded uh, two months later to go to Vegas. That's my thing on my birthday. Y'all all know I go there. And on that same day when that, that stuff happened in Vegas, my cousin got murdered at the same time, the same day. The Knights were starting their season up. The <laughs> That massacre happened on the Strip. I lost a cousin, too. So it was like all tied together. And they went on that run to get to the Stanley Cup, and they lost. But now that they're here and they're strong as ever, they're making it happen out there. And, and now the uh, the happy state of Colorado is about to go crazy, too, after signing Jokic to such a big deal. And I want to get into all of this as best as possible. But I'm going to save this, put this on the back burner, because there's a lot of stuff to get into. Um, first and foremost, in the, in the boxing world, uh, Tiafimo Lopez had a fight last night up against the uh, undisputed champion, Josh Taylor. And um, people, when watching this fight, and I'm going to tell the truth, I love boxing to death. Boxing is one of my favorite sports. Um, I have not seen much on Josh Taylor. I haven't. But uh, through, I guess, melee or somehow, somewhere, he got all of the belts. And um, the way that that fight went down last night between him and Tiafimo Lopez, Lopez looked like the champion, like, there was nothing that you could tell me that Josh Taylor looked like a champion, like he was dominating the division or one big name in the sport. And um, in this fight, clearly, um, the, the, well, from what the judges outside seen was something totally different. This is where I know the sport is fixed. Um, but Max threw out the, the uh, you know, the score that he had. He said he only had Taylor winning two rounds. And one of the rounds that uh, Taylor was up, that he said it, it was close. He he barely wanted to give him that round. Um, at the end, there were two judges that had it scored 115 to 113, and then one judge that had it 117, 111. Just to, like, get the suspense, That the judges, I don't even care anymore. You literally have to just go out there and win that fight, and, and if it is a champ, you got to, like, either knock him down or clearly convince the people that you're going to beat him. But Lopez did what he could to basically just snatch the belts from him, and when I mean snatch the belts, I figuratively mean that. In the end of the fight, this is the bad part about uh, people's emotions getting attached to it. Josh Taylor was fine. The actual boxer was fine with the loss, and he took it gracefully, you know, didn't, you know, pout or give any excuses or anything. He said, I lost like a man. He's like, you know, Teofimo Lopez was the best fighter this night. One of Josh Taylor's cornermen, had the ring championship belt and did not want to give Tiafimo the belt. He was holding on to it, like, for dear life and wouldn't let it go. And Lopez was like, yo, you're disrespecting boxing. Like, I beat him for that belt. And and clearly this guy knows it. It was holding on to the belt. It was funny to look at this guy hang on to the belt like he had rights to it. And this is what the fight is all about. They're fighting for the belt. Like, what are you going to hang on to until the commission comes to you to tell you to give up the belt? But, um, Nevertheless, Lopez, a New York City guy, won the fight. And, you know, a couple months back, he was saying that he didn't think he had it after the loss that he suffered. But now he has all of the belts. You had to see him. He had like eight belts on because he has belts in two different divisions. Um, 
and, you know, basically threw the question out to everybody, do I still got it or what? Because he questioned himself after he lost. He didn't think that he had it. But um, he clearly he clearly beat the crap out of Taylor. I'm sorry to say it like that. Taylor did not look like a champion by no means. I don't understand how he was undefeated and, and got the championship. It's like, who did you know? Who did you beat? Like, what did it take for you to get this far at this point? But um, Lopez is back on top of the world, and I give him a lot of credit for doing what he needed to do, get back there. Now now you didn't, you got the people going to be chasing. Um, Mike, your your thoughts on or what you've seen or heard uh, about this fight, your thoughts on uh, Tiafimo or Josh Taylor uh, moving forward? So the interesting thing with Taylor is he went – he went five bouts in a row beating undefeated guys who had like combined records of 133 and 0 in his journey to capture those titles. Um, now I don't know if maybe if maybe ring rust played a part in this, you know, with him being out 16 months or whatever. But at the end of the day, uh, listen, Lopez's father even said it. Like he said, you know, we're going to box and we're going to show him who the better boxer is. And that they did. It's been a real interesting road for Tiafimo. Uh, you know, having pulled the upset a couple of years ago over Vasily Lomachenko, and then he kind of, you know, suffered some bumps, and then you know, it took a few lumps along the way. But for him to rise back up and and fight like he did last night, huge win for him. And to your point, I don't know how in the world any judge could have had that fight 115-113. And I think we need to be holding these judges accountable, uh, finding out what you saw. And so to me, if if you score something like that, uh, that like you said, uh, one of the ESPN judges said they had it 117-111 because they said it was almost like uh, Tiafimo sort of took the 10th round to kind of as a breather and so they had some people had Josh Taylor winning round 10 but if you had that fight 115-113 you should not be allowed to judge any more championship fights for a while until you prove to me that you can actually judge a fight like you need to be doing undercard fights you know what I mean like these six and eight round you know maybe that Zayas fight from earlier in the night who you know, that's that's another story, but uh, possibly up-and-coming uh, Puerto Rican star right there. Uh, but, you know, a championship fight like that with that many belts on the line and you judge that 115-113, you, your card ought to be pulled as far as being able to officiate championship fights. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, and you and I have talked about this before, I don't think that these judges are held accountable enough. But a big win for Tiafimo Lopez. And, I, you know, it's kind of a motto. We talked about it before, but sometimes you got to go through the struggles to really enjoy the fruits of success, and he's had to do that. So uh, hats off to him. As far as Josh Taylor goes, uh, you know, coming back off an of injury, maybe some ring rust or whatever, if he's as good as some people were thinking he's going to be, then, you know, he'll have his shot to get back up there. Uh, he might have to, you know, he might have to get a couple of wins to to work his way back. But if he's as good as he thinks he is, uh, there's still time for him to, to, you know, try to make another climb to the top of that mountain. But but hats off to Tiafimo, man. He uh, 
he brought he brought it last night for sure and left no doubt on who the better boxer was in that ring. The bad part about this is you can't stop these judges. They need judges that actually have credentials to go out there and, and score the fight. For it to be 115, 113, I don't care what you think you saw. There's no way that that fight was that close, that close. And then, then you'll get a fight like the Lomachenko fight up against Haney where everybody in the world knew it was over for Haney and they gave it to Haney. And it's like, what are you guys doing? And you do all you remember is the judges' faces that they show you at the beginning of the fight. You don't even care who they are once the fight starts. You don't even remember their names until the scorecard comes out and then they say who they are. And it's like, well, they're halfway home. Like we don't know where they live, or they, we just know the state that they gave us, and so on and so forth. It's like, stop doing this. You, you're flooding that sport to make people drive away from it. Where a lot of people like UFC, and to me, UFC guys are here today and gone tomorrow. And so it's. It's a bad catch-22 in between the scenes of this situation. Josh Taylor, um, I, I don't know what you're going to do right now because I think you head over there in Britain fighting like crazy over there. You got to come over here and fight some American experienced boxers to get your name up and, and get people to believe you because after what happened last night, you clearly did not look like you were a boxer at all. You just kept He kept swinging his left trying to get him to – I don't, I don't know, just to connect a good shot on the chin and get Tiafimo dizzy and then try to knock him out that way. That's all he had in his tank. He had no body work. He could not move his head. He couldn't do anything in the fight game at all. Uh, it was getting tattooed left and right. It was even punches that Tiafimo was throwing that you would not throw in a boxing match. He was jump hooking at him and connecting. Like, this, you don't see that in boxing. Um, I, I got to tip my hat for Tiafimo to come off of where he came from to come back and get back into a championship realm and have all of the belts back with him. That's incredible work. Josh Taylor, make me a believer. I'm from Missouri. Show me. Um, moving forward for Tiafimo, he was calling out the box at the end of that uh, situation, but right now he said his, his legal situation was what he was looking at. He has to, you know, get custody of his son. And I, I definitely understand that so many people in my life have to go through that. And it's just people are people, but so on and so forth. Um, the incredible bout. I have to give him his credit, um, especially just like I said, he, he had his uh, depression state, shall I say, and um, he did it. And um, still, I don't know your corner man. Um, the, I, uh, the commission they better not let him up on that that uh, that mat and the canvas anymore. Don't let him be in the corner uh, being stingy with the belt. It was like, wait, what, what are you gonna do? Like you were gonna start a fight with Tiafimo when he rightfully so was, and you were holding on to the ring belt. Like the the one that has the magazine, the one that a lot of people know outside of the WBC belt. It's like, come on, but but nevertheless, it, this 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 night was packed with with energy. I, I can't take too much away from it. There's another fight situation that uh kind of on a sad note uh, in the UFC world, Amanda Nunez had her last fight last night. I wasn't anticipating this being a retirement fight. I just thought that she was going to be fighting. Uh, she clearly beat the girl last night real bad. Um. I unanimous, in a unanimous decision, all five rounds I, I give to her. Um, but she has two different division belts and retiring on top. And before the fight Friday night, she says she was the best UFC MMA fighter, men or women, all time. Now, that is one thing that had me raise my eyebrows. Now, I'm like, you're good. You're awesome at what you do, but do not try to climb that mountain. Like, <laughs> there's a difference in what the men do compared to the women division. Now, I don't want this to turn into no chauvinistic, sexist battle, so on and so forth, but there's a lot of men's names that you're trying to conquer. Like, 
from even in the 90s to now, like who, Shamrock, Fry, uh, Royce Gracie, Anderson Silva, uh, George St. Pierre. Uh, this list will go on and on. For you to try to say that you're better than everybody, everybody. And to me, okay, you've taken care of business. You have five losses in your, your career. But when we were watching the fight, it's like every one of her fights is, you know, up here, she's more of a, a, a boxer. She throws her hands well, and, and she knows how to get people away from trying to, you know, grapple with her. Um, she'll throw a kick here or there, but that's not her game. And she, if she does get to the ground, she knows how to defend herself, but she'd rather stay up top and throw her hands because a lot of girls ain't trying to go in there and do the hand-to-hand combat. They're more or less looking to grab and get an arm bar or a choke out, so on and so forth. But I give her her credit. She definitely has a championship belt in two different weight classes. But come on, you you making that statement out of nowhere is like I don't even know if people will entertain it. Is she the best fighter in in UFC history across the board? I, to me, my opinion, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, but I, I can be wrong. But Mike, your thoughts on Nunez and the fight that she had last night and the statement that she made before the fight? So I'll give her the greatest female fighter of all time. Uh, and and I'll say that because, you know, she was in Strike Force for a little while, and when she first kind of made the jump, people questioned whether or not she had the cardio and all this, and she was able to go back in the lab and fix those things, right? And then, you know, she took care of Ronda Rousey, who was on, you know, one of the most dominant runs we ever seen from a woman fighter. And the only time that she's lost over the last few years, she avenged that loss with a convincing win last time out. Um, So, uh, listen, the lioness worked hard. She uh, fixed the things that people criticized her on. And to win two titles in such a dominant fashion, like, I, I tip my hat to her. And I say the greatest female fighter of all time. And I think it's uh, sort of a – it's nice to see somebody go out on their feet on a high, Uh, whereas you think of, like, you know, unfortunately, you know, she tied or surpassed Anderson Silva's most title defenses and all this. Um, But, you know – People remember that Anderson Silva had that bad injury and wasn't the same fighter late in his career. And so, you know, big ups to see her go out, you know, on her feet and on a high note. There are a lot of times, TP, where we see great fighters hang around too long, and they have the right to hang around as long as they want if they've been that good. But we see them hang around too long and they go out on their back. So um, big ups to her for calling her career when she did. Uh, As far as her statement, I think that's a little much. You know, you mentioned Silva. You mentioned GSP. You mentioned the old heads like Gracie and Shamrock. And, you know, we got to put John Jones in this conversation. Uh, we got to put Cormier in this conversation to some extent. Uh, When you start talking about greats, uh, that have been in the uh, in the octagon, but you know, I I would give her, like I said, uh, without question, I would give her the greatest female fighter of all time. And I will say this: 
man or woman, when you talk about greats and people that have uh, really made a, a name for themselves and, and sort of carved their name in the in the history books or you know in the lore of the sport. I would say that her name has to be there and she has to be in that great conversation. Uh, but grace of all time, man or woman, I, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I applaud your confidence. Yeah, um, I, I even forgot about Bones. Like, to me, she's not better than John Bones Jones. At, at fighting, and, and to look at her fights, she don't pull the draw in. Of none of the box, oh, excuse me, I'm stuck on the boxing. None of the fighters from UFC that I mentioned compared to what she's going to do. And of course, it's tougher for women's sports to get the draw of fandom to come around there and support it. But still, if you were that good, you would be able to pull people into the sport like that. People respect you in the octagon as a female to go in there and do your thing. I give you credit for that. But there's too many names for you to climb, for you to try to just say that. And, and win a fight up against a girl that clearly did not – she didn't belong in that, uh, that octagon with her at all. Um, yeah, but right now, at the top of my head, I, I give John Jones the leg up. I give – I'm not even – I don't even go to any of the heavyweights that uh, – like Stipe. Like Stipe's run before Stipe lost. Like there's a lot of names for her to just go out there and say that. But I give you credit. Job well done on your career. Um and she said if she would have fought Pena, uh, then she maybe uh, she probably wouldn't have retired because Pena is the one that beat her uh, previously, and she went and re- you know regained that title back from her. But I don't know if she wanted to make that a trilogy or something. I don't know if Pena wants to call her back out or what. But make that happen to keep her around just so we can see you know where her heart is. But if she's stuck on retiring and she's content with that, let her heart be filled with that and so on and so forth. But that's a funny way to leave to have people have that that question like is she I I I beg to differ and I love to start that conversation with other people but it, it took it it took away from the raw ability of what she has to now make me look at her like no don't don't do the LeBron tactic to say I'm the goat after I won Game Seven coming back from three one down to the Warriors like don't don't do that let let people do it for you let people do it for you don't do that because now people are gonna look at you like they're gonna measure you. And now I'm I'm the one measuring you, and I don't like doing that to people. I don't. But now there's a standard toward you, and I respect your fight game. You're awesome, but mm-mm. you're not you're not in Mount Rushmore. You're not. No, you're not. Yes. TP, one of my favorite motivational speakers, uh, he made this statement one time, and this really rang true with me, and it, and it really it really hit me. And he said, "When you have to tell somebody what you are, you're not." I, I I understand. I I definitely understand. I, I believe me. Just like I said, LeBron said that, and they, and they put that conversation up of goat this and goat that. It's like LeBron, you know that you're you're ring chasing to try to catch Mike, and it ain't even, it wasn't even about Mike's status of him winning championships. It's more or less about the status of what he did on the floor. And LeBron, you're an awesome player, but you're not one of the greatest. Like to me. I, I give that greatest nod to, like, Kareem and, and Mike, these guys that have a lineage of, of stuff to look at. You get tired when you look at their Wikipedia and all of the things that they've done in their career. LeBron's statistics in his NBA alone is heavy, but it's like, what else? Like, you had for you to accomplish a lot, you needed a lot of Warriors next to you 
Uh, what are you going to do to close out your career? You just got swept off your feet at the latter part of your career. I don't remember Kareem getting swept at the end of his career. I remember him losing to the Pistons when he left. I remember Mike leaving on a high note with the Jazz, and then he came back for free uh, up against the Wizards, and he knew the Wizards wasn't going to win a championship there. He knew that. And, and uh, I, I don't see this. But in, in looking at him in New Year's, until you see another tough girl in a female, excuse me, in the uh, octagon. I mean, it's going to be her, but I don't know who entertains that conversation. I know a lot of guys are just going to fear in their hand at it and be like, no, they're not going to entertain it, but and rightfully so. I don't want to get stuck on this at all. But, Amanda, good job. <laughs> good job on your fight last night, but no, I'm not going to let you get away with that one. Okay. Now, this is where the ticket thing gets big. Um, I'm still safe. I still got those pots on the back. For the party. For the party. It's a party at 5 o'clock. Well, not, not 5 o'clock, but at 5. I keep saying that one. So um, I'm going to get Mr. Harvey started. We're going to go into the MLB. Um, first things first, we we have a, a hot team going on in the NL West in the Diamondbacks. These guys are on complete fire, uh, winning 10 out of their last 12. They are now atop the NL West, 39-25. and 25. The Dodgers are 37-28, two and a half games back. The Giants are 32 and 32. They're 500. They're seven games back. The Padres are 31 and 33. They're eight games back. I wonder what's going on. When do they turn this around? They're two games for 500. They can know. And the Rockies are on a shaky situation. They are 26 and 40, 14 games back. I'm wondering if the Padres can pick themselves off the canvas and make this interesting. But it does look good in the West, at least. Three teams are 500. The Padres are the one that you thought, well, at least I thought would be doing better at this point in time. They did have to come through so many different circumstances, especially starting the season without players, so on and so forth. But, Mike, your thoughts on the teams in the NOS at this point in time? You know, the the Diamondbacks are a fun team to watch. They got a lot of guys that can really run. I saw something that said they had, like, uh, three or four guys that are some of the fastest guys in the league. Uh, Corbin Carroll, if you've never, haven't really seen him before, uh, is the truth. A young star. He may, if he can stay healthy the rest of the year, he will be the first ever Arizona Diamondback to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, they may be the only franchise that has never had a player win that award. So um, that'll be interesting. He can run like a deer. He plays. Um, Left field when McCarthy's in center. Otherwise, he plays center. Uh, Lourdes Goriel, uh, Yuli's uh, younger brother, has really, really been good for them this year uh, after coming over from Toronto. Uh, they got some good young pitching in Zach Gallen and, and some other guys there. Um, this is a fun team to watch, and they're not going away. Uh, they're going to push teams in the uh, National League West. They thought they were a year or so away, but, uh, you know, the time is now, you know, so, uh, you know, we'll see. But this this team is definitely in this conversation and a legit contender um, in the National League. The Dodgers, I always said that this was the year to get them if you were going to. Um, they've had some injuries on that pitching staff with Bueller out and Julio uh, Urias is supposed to be, he was supposed to be back today, but had a little bit of a setback. So they said he could be a week or two away from getting back. Uh, but Kershaw's pretty, still pitching pretty well for them. Uh, but this is 
they got a lot of patchwork veterans. They didn't make any huge moves in the free agent market this season. Uh, there was talk about them possibly getting Trey Turner back, and he didn't come back. Um, so, And then they lost a shortstop in spring training. So this is a team that, uh, you know, you better get them right now, but they're still lurking right there, and there would still be a playoff team if the season, you know, if the season ended today. So uh, the Dodgers definitely pose a threat. The Giants, man, with, with all the mismatched parts and all the, you know, hodgepodge of veteran guys and platoons, they still found a way to be there. And, listen, their latest uh, project has been, uh, you know, Alex Wood. They they have uh, – they've somehow they, – they find a way to resurrect pitchers who struggle. They come out there for a little while, and, and they get things figured out. So uh, the Giants do some things right. Uh, talent-wise, I don't think that they match – what's in uh, San Francisco, or, I mean, what's in Arizona or L.A., uh, but well, they play a good brand of ball, and, they, and they're going to hang around. And then San Diego, like you said, two games under 500. When are they going to get this fixed? They got Bogarts and Machado back now. The question is, can they pitch enough? And you're looking at guys like Snell and Watson, Michael Waka and those kinds of guys to see if they can uh, provide enough depth in that rotation uh colorado is just colorado man like they're they're tough to play at home they got a few good hitters and some young talent Uh, ezekiel tobar is a nice slick fielding shortstop but uh you know they they don't have the talent to match up with the rest of this division and i gotta say you know you you mentioned the diamondbacks have won 10 out of 12 their only two losses were back-to-back last weekend in a series against the atlanta braves Okay, moving right along into the next division, we have the NL Central. People, I'm stunned. <laughs> I really am stunned because I'd have never thought that Pittsburgh Pirates would be leading the division at this point in time. But nevertheless, it's because of games that are played. They are 33 and 30 atop the division, tied with the Milwaukee Brewers, 34 and 31. The uh, Cincinnati Reds are 30 and 35, four games back. The Cubs are 28 and 36, they're five and a half back. And the St. Louis Cardinals round out the bottom, 27 and 38, seven games back. At this point in time, I am starting to agree with Mr. Harvey. The Cardinals are somewhat frustrating at this point in time, being double digits under 500 at this point in time. And it looks like they kind of <laughs> changed places with the Pirates when the Pirates were always at the bottom of the division and the Cardinals were somewhere at the top or at the top of fighting for the division. Somehow, some way, it's like they flip-flopped the situation. So, Mike, your thoughts on the NL Central, what's going on, and your thoughts on the four, the five teams that have been mentioned? The biggest thing with uh, Milwaukee is can they hit enough? They've shown some flashes over this year. They need to get Brandon Woodruff back, but uh, Milwaukee's right there. Pittsburgh, they were there a month ago, and I thought they wouldn't necessarily be there anymore, but they are. They went 14-2 Friday night over the Mets. Uh, they've gotten the better part of St. Louis so far this year, so uh, listen, that that team has has found a way. Uh, they got a couple of veterans like Rich Hill. Uh, they got some castoffs from other teams like Connor Job, who was in Colorado. Uh, but then they got some young guys too. So um, Tuca Pica Marcano and and G1 Bay. Um, and then you know they should be getting O'Neill Cruz back at some point too, the six seven shortstop. So. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is, is hanging around. This is a one 
seat at the table when it comes to the playoffs, I believe. You know, the interesting team in this division to me is Cincinnati. They got some flamethrowers for young arms like Hunter Green. Uh, they got Nick Lodolo from Minnesota last year. Uh, and the Tyler Malley trade, what a trade for Minnesota. I'm sorry, GP. Um, but they they also have a lot of good young talent. Spencer Steer, who came over in that trade as well, has really been hitting the ball well. And they just called up the young kid, uh, Ellie De La Cruz, this week, who played third base. He's playing third base for them. Him and the, the kid, Matt McClain, came up a couple months ago. Those guys are both really hitting the ball and hitting the ball well. The youth movement is very much underway in Cincinnati. Uh, Christian Encarnacion will probably be next uh, in the next month or two. We'll see. Uh, but for the first time in a little while, uh, Cincinnati's got a lot to look forward to. You know, they made the playoffs. They had Trevor Bauer in that tough rotation with Luis Castillo in in 2020, but then they got bounced in the playoffs, and then they, you know, they didn't re-sign Bauer. They traded Castillo last year, and so some people are really worried, but the youth movement is definitely well underway in Cincinnati. They got a lot of good young talent that's just been called up and a few more uh, really talented guys in the pipeline, so it's actually a really exciting time to be a Cincinnati fan. The Cubs, man, like... I don't know. Every time I think they're really going to uh, start to push, uh, they're struggling a little bit, uh, 28 and 36. I don't expect them to finish fourth place in that division, but but who knows? And then St. Louis, man, I thought they kind of righted the ship. Uh, and then they lose to Pittsburgh this week, and they've kind of got back to their losing ways. Uh, I think Oliver Marmol's job may be in jeopardy before the end of this season. Uh, St. Louis is a team to watch for, uh, you know, one of the things I'm reading about is that there may not be a lot of sellers at the trade deadline this year, uh, but that's a team to watch for if they do decide to sell. Uh, Jack Flaherty, I think, has like a 2.06 ERA in his last six starts. Um, So maybe um, they do have a lot of hitters there, so maybe that's a team that decides to try to sell, you know, if if they don't turn it around in the next month. Okay, so the next thing I want to uh, get to is um, interesting because looking at Mr. Harvey, this guy's probably smiling from earlobe to earlobe. And when I look at this division, I I applaud him for the the things that he's been able to go through at this point in time, but I'm actually frustrated when I look at this division also too in two different parts. So first things first. the Atlanta Braves, 40 and 24, leading the division on complete fire, seven game winning streak at this point in time, eight and two out of their last 10. This is where I get real mad. The Miami Marlins are 36 and 29. They're four and a half back from the Braves, and the Braves are actually playing well. Who would have thought the Marlins would be this good at this point in time? <laughs> wink, wink, raise my eyebrows crazy. Louis Arias is now batting 402. 402, you trade him. Batting champ, like, I, insane, and they are playing off of him. It's like he's he's their MVP at this point in time. He should be in the race. He better be in the talk of MVP right now. It's, I'm so frustrated to watch how good this guy is to be gotten rid of. Like, why, how, when? Like, I I don't get it. And, and let me just move forward. Lewis, 
I pray that you stay well. I, you're awesome. I don't know how they did that. One of the best utility guys in Minnesota history you trade. The Philadelphia Phillies are turning their thing around. They're 31-33 at this point in time. Another bad situation in this division, the Mets. They're 31-34. When do you guys get this together? They are 3-7 and seven out of their last 10. These guys are on a seven-game losing streak. This, this is bad, New York. Like, all of the money that you guys spent, all of the money that you spent in a season, or, or excuse me, an off-season. Let me say it the right way. In an off-season, you spent this much money and you're under 500 at this point in time? The Mets are really going to met. Like, I, when they say that slogan out here, I, I, don't, I don't like to pick on teams that don't do well. You know, like, when people have their slogans and so on and so forth, it's like, okay, what? Well, leave them alone. Let them do what they got to do to get out of the dump. But it's like the Mets are going to continue to do this regardless, year after year. Like, 86 really was that far ago. Like, this is like incredible. With all of the names that you guys have, you guys are still struggling to get out of the dumps. Come on, Peter Alonzo, you <laughs> this guy's one of the best bats in baseball. And this guy is just in the dumps because of you guys. Because of you guys. Um and the Washington Nationals round out the bottom of the division, twenty five and thirty eight, fourteen and a half back. Mike, you being a part of the leader pack, like I said, I know you're probably smiling ear to ear. Um, tell me about the National League East at this point in time. Yeah, I think that there are definitely some M V P candidates in this division. Uh, you look at Acuna with 14 home runs and 27, 28 stolen bases, whatever it is, and 333 batting average, playing some really good defense in right field. And the supporting pieces are starting to come around. This Braves team has still not been hitting great with guys in scoring position. You figure that's going to come up at some point. Uh, but another good young pitcher, uh, they just happen to find these guys, a guy named A.J. smith Shaber, 20 years old, uh, makes his major league debut. On Friday night, five and two-thirds, gave her two runs, neither one of them earned. Uh, so he's doing a nice job for them. Then you look and see the Marlins. The sad thing about the Marlins is they only play in front of five people uh, every night, and, and that's the family members of the players that decide to show up. So, uh, But they got a good squad, and this is a team that they got a lot of good young arms, not just Sandy Alcantara, but – Braxton Garrett and other guys that got a lot of good young arms. If they hit enough at all, this is a team you keep letting them hang around, and they're going to be a problem. Uh, and they, you said 36 wins. Uh, they're, they're right there. Uh, so uh, that that's a team that I'm impressed by. They got a few veterans on that team as well, uh, like Garrett Cooper and Yulieski Goriel. Uh, who's doing a decent job for them to go along with uh, Arias and Chisholm. And, you know, so uh, they're doing a nice job in, in Miami. It's just a shame that very few people were seeing them play. Listen, uh, Philly, Zach Wheeler almost had a no-hitter the other day. You, you feel like they're going to right the ship. You know, Bryce Harper came back in record time off of an ACL injury. He's hitting 287 right now, but the power has not been there. And Bryce Hopper is supposed to be kind of a thumper in the middle of that lineup. Uh, but now you got Alec Baum out, and you're missing a few pieces. And Trey Turner, I think, is feel, feeling the pressure of that contract tie. He's chasing a lot. He normally has been really selective at the plate in his career. You know, it's kind of a guy who has the potential to be sort of a 30-30 type guy. 
but I feel like he's feeling the pressure of that contact, uh, that contract and pressing a little bit too much. So uh, they need to get him right as sort of the the igniter at the top of that order. They've they've even dropped him down in that batting order some or whatever and tried to do things to sort of uh, juggle right there. So, uh, but I think Philly is going to get things right. We'll just see if if the power comes for Bryce Harper, um, and then. You know, they're still feeling the effects of having lost Reese Hoskins for the season. So uh, we'll see in Philly. Um, I'm I'm impressed with what they've been able to do on the mound. So uh, I'm I'm still not sold on that bullpen. The Mets, man, I keep thinking they're going to turn around. You know, Scherzer's banged up, but he said he's not going on the injury list again. He's going to try to guard it out the rest of the year, but he doesn't look like himself on the mound. Uh, Verlander's kind of Jekyll and Hyde Which one's going to show up uh, You know, I talked about this the other night On Roundtable Gumbo that You had Strider and Verlander the other day Had the potential to be a pitcher's duel I told you guys in the fifth inning When it was 9-5, it wasn't over It was 10-7, the Braves ended up winning 13-10 to in 10 innings uh, You know, the Mets With the kind of money they're paying They definitely did not expect to ever Give up 13 runs on a day that Justin Berlander starts. So they got to get this thing uh, right. And now with Alonzo out for a little bit of time, uh, that puts even more pressure on them. Uh, I'll be curious to see if at some point they decide to bring up Ronald Mauricio and give him a look. Uh, Lindor's kind of been struggling too, but he's notoriously been a second-half guy. So we'll see if he can get that turned around. And then the Washington Nationals, man, like they they got some good young players and – you know, you're just kind of putting those guys out there and letting them play and let them kind of grow. Uh, you know, they didn't expect to win, but not a whole lot of pressure in Washington. You got the young catcher in Kiva Ruiz. You got C.J. Abrams. You got Lane Thomas. You got a bunch of young guys, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore on that pitching staff. They're not striking a lot of guys out, uh, but they're also not striking out a lot offensively either. So, um you know, I feel like this team is just kind of on the job training for these guys to figure out who's going to be part of that nucleus uh, moving forward as they, you know, pretty much had a fire sale over the last couple of years. They traded Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, and then the following year they trade Soto. So they're trying to rebuild. They got a lot of young pieces in place, and they're just going to keep running them out there uh, to see what they got and, you know, you know, take their lumps and, and learn at the major league level and see if you can make adjustments and, and then see what they can do moving forward. But if there comes a time that they feel like it's probably going to be a couple of years out because this is a tough division, but if there comes a time where they feel like they can make a couple moves to try to get a couple missing pieces, uh, that team has shown you in the past that they will do that. So, you know, this is a rebuild year for the nationals, but, uh, you know, there's there's definitely some hope there. They got a lot of good young players, and so just keep letting them learn on the job, man. The next division we have is the AL West. The AL West is a very intriguing one. The Texas Rangers are still atop, 41 and 22, one of the best teams in baseball at this point in time. Did not think that they would be rocking and rolling the way that they are at this point in time. Seven and three out of their last ten. Houston Astros are trying to catch up. They are five games back. 37 and 28, they're starting to put these guys together after having a losing streak go down. They just picked up a big win the other day. Um, the Los Angeles Angels are 35 and 31. They're seven and a half back. Uh, they lost a crushing one last night as well. The Mariners are the team that they did lose to. They are 31 and 32 at this point in time. They're 10 games back. 
and the Oakland A's, worst team in baseball, 16-50, 26 and a half games back. But they are on a four-game winning streak. I, I hope you guys are hearing me. I hope you guys are hearing me. The A's are on a four-game winning streak. I don't know if they can continue to try to make this somewhat of a, a you know, a cleanup situation. I know they won't get back into the race or 500, but at least make these people in Oakland feel good at their last couple of seasons or season having a baseball team, and, and they are on the street. So I do got to give the A's that. I've been picking on them far too long. At least I want to see them play some type of baseball. Maybe you guys are going to start to be dangerous. We'll see. Mike, your thoughts on the AL West at this point in time? I knew the Angel. I knew that the Rangers would be good. Uh, I picked them as a dark horse to win, but thought they would probably finish second in that division. You got Corey Seager back and Simeon doing his thing. That offense in Texas is scary. Um, and then they're getting some pitching from guys like John Gray. And, you know, it's sad to see DeGrom out having to go through Tommy John again. We'll see if he even comes back and can have anything left in his career. Uh, but guys like uh, like Gray, like Andrew Heaney, like Dane Dunning, those kind of guys are at least getting it done for them on the mound right now. And, you know, with the way that offense has been swinging it, uh, most – pitchers are getting some run support and being able to kind of relax and just sort of throw the ball. So um, Texas, that offense is a serious problem. I'll be curious to see if, uh, you know, in the next month or so, if they decide to try to make a move to, to get another pitcher or if they can find a team that will part with pitching. But also what's the cost? Because Texas has, uh, you know, this is not the end off for the Rangers. They have some guys – like Jack Leiter and uh, Luis Acuna, Ronald Junger brother in their farm system on the way up. So uh, there's a lot of talent in Texas and, you know, you're starting to see the result of a team that has been kind of down for the last few years. They were able to accrue some talent through the draft and through other means. And so, you know, they make, they make a couple of big free agent moves last year and you're starting to see it come to fruition on the field for the Rangers. Uh, Houston trying to make the run. Uh, we'll see. They still need to get a couple of guys healthy. And Jose Abreu needs to find a way to right the ship a little bit um, at first base. But they're right there. The Angels are about where I thought they would be, about third place. Just kind of sitting sort of in the middle of that pack. Um, we'll see if they can, can piece it together. I actually thought the Rangers would finish – I mean, I thought the Angels would finish fourth. And they still might – uh, Seattle getting the win over them last night. Uh, that's a team that everybody thought was on the verge of making the playoff, you know, being a playoff contender and maybe contending for that division. I thought they had a, a shot at it. They've been struggling some, but Julio Rodriguez looks to be right in the ship a little bit. I think he's got 12, 14 home runs, something. So uh, he's his power starting to show. It, it looked like for all the world that he was going to go through a serious sophomore slump, but it looks like he's finding his way out. And then, you know, you mentioned the A's, man, and, you know, listen, the future has looked sort of bleak there. I'm a believer that you got to have at least six really good bats in your lineup um, in order to get it done. And so as they're rebuilding, I see four right now uh, that they're kind of hanging their hat on. Uh, Brent Rooker, who went through a slump, but looks like he's kind of coming out of it. Uh, Former twin. Spent a little time with the Royals and the Padres, uh, but was highly drafted coming out of college. 
you got him. Ryan Noto looks to be the real deal at first base uh, for the A's. He's doing well. Uh, Shea Langelier is the catcher they got from the Braves and the Matt Olson deal. Uh, is looking pretty solid. And then they also uh, made a trade going into this season for J.J. Bleday, who was a very high draft pick by the Marlins out of uh, Vanderbilt. And they traded A.J. Puck over there, who was doing a nice job with the, as the closer for Miami. But Bleday is starting to kind of show signs with the bat. So we'll see. I mean, you got young guys, you got some veterans, and obviously, like you said, I mean, they, they won a few games right now. Not going to get back in this race, but at the end of the day, I feel like the A's kind of like the Nationals. They're trying to uh, give these young guys chances to play and, and see what they have for the future because you know it's at least going to be a couple of years out before they can really contend. But uh, Noto showing signs, and they got a, brought up a guy, Jonah Pride or Bride or somebody playing third base who has uh, shown a little bit of signs of, uh, you know, being a legit major league player as well. So, We'll see in Oakland. They got they've gotten a lot of prospects back. They better hit on some of them um, because they've traded away a lot of uh, a lot of talent that's that's ma- making a lot of noise um, around Major League Baseball. So uh, you know the interesting thing with the A's is going to be where do they end up? Do they end up going to Vegas? Does another city uh, jump into this as they're trying to figure everything out? Um, or does some kind of miracle happen? They end up staying in Oakland. I'm not sure. Uh, it's kind of a train wreck situation in Oakland, California right now. Okay, the next division I have, and this is the good, the bad, and the ugly in my life. The worst division in baseball, the AL Central. The Minnesota Twins, I have to be happy that they're doing this. They are 33 and 32 atop the division a game above 500, a ton of injuries, too. I could talk on and on about what's going on in Minnesota. These pitchers are pitching well and just not getting the run support, and this is where we sit right now. Um, five and five out of their last ten. The Cleveland Guardians are 30 and 34. They're two and a half back, six and four out of their last ten. Actually playing some good ball as of late. We'll see if they can make this even more interesting after splitting a four-game series with the Twins. The Chicago White Sox have been actually playing well, uh, picked up two against the Yankees as well. They're 29 to 37. These guys are eight games under 500. They're four and a half back. The Tigers have been on a skid. They're 26 to 36 at this point in time. They're five and a half back. They are one and nine out of the last 10. They're on an eight game losing streak. And the Kansas City Royals, one of the worst teams in baseball. Also, they're 18 and 46 at this point in time. They're 14 and a half back as well. Mike, your thoughts on the struggling AL Central from top to bottom? Uh, I'm going to go from bottom to top just because Kansas City, uh, you got Bobby Witt, who is still junior, who is still showing some signs. But this team is, man, <laughs> is bad. They they have the – and Kansas City has had some bad teams over the years. But they have the the possibility of being the worst team that Kansas City has ever fielded. Uh, so that tells you something. As far as the Tigers, man, the the Riley Green injury couldn't have happened at a worse time for that young man. He was finally starting to find his stride. And then their ace pitcher, Edwin Rodriguez, uh, had to see a finger specialist, going to miss a lot of time. And that's kind of sad for them because he might have been a good trade chip if they wanted to do that. 
uh, moving forward. But now that looks like that might not even be a possibility. Tiger's got a lot of good young arms to get back, like Casey Miles and Tariq Skubal. So, you know, we'll see uh, what they can do. Obviously, still in the midst of their rebuild. Like you said, the White Sox starting to show a little bit of signs, but right as they do, Eloy Jimenez is now banged up. They say he might avoid a trip to the DL, but at least this time, uh, that's a guy that has a ton of talent but can't stay off the uh, list. And The White Sox are a team to really look out for as could they possibly be sellers in a month. Um, Cleveland's starting to find their way back into it a little bit. Uh, Jose Ramirez <laughs> has really been hot this week. He had a game earlier this week where he hit three home runs. You know, the Cleveland Guardians, TP, have only hit like 40 or 42 home runs all season. They've hit fewer home runs than any team in baseball. Uh, and, you know, they got some pitching, uh, but but we'll see there. I, it's, it's definitely still a winnable division for them. Uh, Tristan McKenzie came back last week for them, uh, had 10 strikeouts in his first outing. Uh, got rocked a little bit yesterday, gave up five runs in five innings. So uh, he is going to make a, what he can do in that rotation behind Shane Bieber. If those two guys can both be healthy uh, as the season gets into the second half, uh, that's going to be key for Cleveland. And then uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, man, like tons of injuries, but they're they're sitting in first place. Uh, to me, same thing that I said about the National League Central. There's one team in this division that's going to have a seat at the playoff table. The interesting thing to me, or one of the, the things to look out for, is is the team that wins this division going to be above 500? Uh, that's that that's going to be an interesting thing to look out for. But there's still talent in Minnesota. They just got to have people healthy and and on the field. But uh, this still looks like it's it's the Twins' division to, to lose. But the Guardians are starting to climb back in there and make it interesting. Yeah, and the guy that I love so much on the team are the ones that are the ones that I'm questioning, and one of them is really breaking my heart at this point in time. Uh, the one that I'm questioning is Buxton. Um, they have Buxton DH, and so he can stay out of the injury path, and he's hurt. He's hurt, and it's like y'all yeah, just up, and they need you. Um, they're doing everything that they can to like keep your fragile tail in line, and then. Um, Correa, he hit a big grand slam yesterday, so it's like, can you stay hot? Like, and I don't even want to call this hot. You just had a good attempt at the plate that that counted while these guys were down and need run support. And the one that's hurting me the most that I've been hearing in a lot of talks, especially from, uh, you know, column to column, is Max Kepler. Um, he has not been doing well, but he hit a bomb yesterday. But they're saying that they, they've had enough of it. Um, and this has been coming from Rocco Baldelli. Um, including a situation where um, there's a fly ball and both of the base runners were on base and they both, well, Michael Taylor got to third from second and Kepler could have got to second from first and Kepler just stayed on first with no ambition to, like, push the game forward and he could have been a a scoring run and it didn't happen because of his effort. And um, basically Baldelli's had it. Like, like, and Kepler even admitted, he's like, yeah, I need to give more effort. Like, he knows what's going on. And Kepler's one of my favorite players on this team, and he's not performing up to uh, what he was a few years ago, especially when he went on that run to hit over 35 home runs. It's like you don't even look like that guy anymore, not at the plate, 
not on the bases, not in not in the field, nothing. It's, it's like, what what do you need? Is he ready to go? And I don't want to see him go, but this happens in the sport. And it's frustrating for me because I, I don't want to lose him because he, when he's on, he's on fire. When he's on, he's on fire. And for him to be in the AL Central, he is one of the best bats against Cleveland. Like Cleveland's always been a thorn to us. He, he hit the most home runs against the Cleveland uh, Guardian slash what they used to be called previously. So I don't want to lose you, Max, but I think it's going to happen because of the, the things that I have been reading lately. Last but not least, the AL East is on the horizon. Um, the best team, the best division, excuse me, in baseball and the best team in baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays are sitting at 47 and 20. They are eight and 10, eight and two out of the last 10, excuse me. Uh, if you don't know about uh, Randy, a monster. This dude is hitting walk-offs and everything. This team has it to, together moving forward. Surprisingly stunning. The Baltimore Orioles are 40 and 24, five and a half back, three game winning streak, six and four out of the last 10. The Yankees are 38 and 28, eight and a half back. They just split with the Red Sox and their dynamic rivalry. The rubber game is today in the middle of the Bronx. The Blue Jays are 36 and 30. They're ten and a half back, uh, seven and three out of their last ten. Lost the last two up against Minnesota in Toronto, and rounding out the bottom of the division, the Red Sox are one game under five hundred thirty-two and thirty-three, fourteen games back, four and six out of their last ten. Mike, your thoughts on the AL East as a whole? Like you said, best division in baseball. This is the first week in a while that we've talked about this division without all of these teams being above 500. Uh, Toronto just can't deal with Minnesota. Like, <laughs> you know, they, like you said, seven and three in their last 10. Uh, they, they've been playing good ball, but they've lost their last two to the twins. Uh, that has not been a good matchup uh, for the Blue Jays this season at all. Uh, this is a team that has a ton of offense. But, you know, one guy that I talked about a couple of times with the Blue Jays is, is Alec Manoa, who had such a really good year last year, finished third in the Cy Young uh, race, but he's been so bad this year. They didn't demote him to triple ATP. They sent him to the spring training training complex to try to fix him for an indefinite stay to try to figure out what's going on with this guy. His ERA is up around six. Uh, you know, he was supposed to be the ace of that staff. And, you know, once again, completely demoted. Uh, lucky for them, they've had a couple other arms. The former LSU Tiger, Kevin Gossman, has been really good, uh, leading the league in strikeouts uh, and, and pitching really well for them. He's another guy that was fixed in San Francisco. You know, highly drafted by Baltimore. Atlanta got him, let him go. Anybody could have had him. He went to San Francisco and got right. And now he's taken those talents to Toronto, and he's been able to uh, stay right. So him, Jose Barrios has finally found his stride. Uh, Chris Bassett's been pretty good for them, and so has Kikuchi. So um, if they can get Hinjin Ryu back at some point, if Manoa could fix things and they can get enough pitching. They have an offense that is really good with with Springer at the top of that lineup. And then just going down the order, guys like Bichette and Vlad Jr. and those guys. Uh, Brandon Belt, another guy from San Francisco, has had a really good season for Toronto as well. So that offense is really good. I would say maybe 
the second best offense in in the American League. Uh, but they got to pitch enough and they got to get things done in the bullpen. Jordan Romano has been kind of hit or miss. Uh, looking at the Yankees, man, he's got to find a way to get guys healthy. Uh, Rodon still, after signing that contract, has not thrown a pitch for them. Uh, Judge is out now for a chunk of time. So, I mean, we'll see, man. But they, they got to find a way to get healthy. Uh, that hasn't happened. That's that's like uh, you're going to see the tooth fairy before you see the Yankees healthy. So, uh, we'll see. But they, they've been finding a way to win uh, regardless. And Tampa, man, you know, they started 13-0. and uh, you, you wonder how long it's going to last. But, you know, like you said, 8-2 and two in their last 10. Uh, this is a team that is definitely going to be reckoned with, even though they've lost a couple of starting pitchers that were supposed to be big pieces in their rotation in Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs. Uh, the kid, Taj Bradley. You got other guys that have been just uh, finding a way to get it done with Tampa. You mentioned Randy Rosarena. Uh, you know, a guy that the Cardinals let go, uh, Wander Franco. Uh, they got a lot of pieces on that team. Uh, Tampa is, is, you know, they don't have a big bopper and one uh, main guy other than a Arena, but they don't miss on guys, man. And listen, word to any GM in baseball, be very, very careful if you're going to trade with the Tampa Bay Rays because they don't miss very often at all. Uh, they – identify people that fit their system and that work and this team uh when does more with less than any team in baseball. Okay, and that rounds out the the MLB top to bottom. Um I wonder who wins this rubber match today in the middle of the Bronx man and one of well everybody out here is basically a Yankee fan and um the Red Sox need this to get to 500. The Yankees need this to keep their momentum, especially while Judge just went to the IL too. So this is interesting that this Yankee team is not escaping the injury bug by no means. That bug is hanging around the Bronx, New York. Okay, so now these pots have been boiling far too long. The caller number is 929-477-2759. Um, do the first one as quick as I possibly can because, um, like I told you, my heart is kind of involved in this situation. And it's my home away from home. I want to go to Vegas. <laughs> I want to go to Vegas. Before they start partying, they're going to end up shutting the strip down. I know it. If they win this doggone thing, Vegas is going to be on complete fire. And it's summertime. It's, uh, I could just imagine the party that's going to be going on down there. Well, they are up 3-1. And they are heading back to paradise for game five, looking like they're going to end up closing this. If you're lucky to be in the Valley Tuesday night, I'm jealous. I envy you. <laughs> Everything else that comes with it, all of the bells and whistles, because I could tell that that Tuesday night is going to be hectic. I mean, every day is a weekend out in Vegas. It's, it's, I don't care what day of the week it is. It's still always going to be fun. And I wonder what type of, celebration they're going to have plotted like are they going to save it for the weekend are they going to do it in the middle of the week who knows but they are taking care of complete business up against the florida panthers and um and sole control of this situation they clearly look like the best team in hockey at this point in time um mike your thoughts on the knights or or the panthers at this point in time do you think the panthers can make this interesting and win three straight to forces back to a game seven or do you think vegas closes this out game five your thoughts on this series out there in Sin City. I think they probably close it out in five, man. I, you know, Florida bounced back and won game three. 
to make it 2-1. They had a chance to even the series, and they weren't able to. And then after the after the game last night, everybody wanted to fight. They had a pretty uh, pretty pretty big brawl uh, last night at the end of that game. But I think uh, I think the Golden Knights are going to wrap this up. Florida, you had your chance to even things up on home ice, and you weren't able to do so. Now you got to go home seriously behind the eight ball. So, um, you know, they're not the only team from Florida that's got to do that. But uh, I don't think they. I, I I think they're going to return to Florida after Game Five, but Vegas is going to stay home and party. Yeah, and it is funny that both Florida teams are in the same situation, facing a Game Five elimination. Um, somebody help me get the Vegas. Please, I'll take a weekend trip. No, I, I can't even go this weekend. My cousin's getting married, so i got to be in a wedding, so I can't. But I would love to go. I'll miss all of this stuff. But anyway, man, Golden Knights, you deserve it, man. And, and this has been, what, six years in the making of when you guys started this out on a raw note and the rest of the country were with you with all of the bad stuff that happened, I was with you because I went through the same type of turbulence in my life to gun violence. The same thing that happened out there in Vegas happened here on the East Coast as well. So an emotional state for me to watch Vegas go through it. And that's a place that I go to let my hair down, even though I don't have long hair. But still, yeah, and I'm with you, Golden Knights, even though I'm a diehard Rangers fan. But I I love to see this get accomplished. And the Panthers, let me not take too much away from you on the job that you've done. You guys dominated your way through the Eastern Conference run. Um, taking care of business up against uh, a Boston team who everybody clearly thought how hot the Bruins were all season, that these guys would be the team in the uh, Stanley Cup final. They are not. You guys knocked them off. And the way that the state of Florida has bounced back in, in all sports, basically, um, or at least in these two, in hockey and the one I'm about to go to in basketball and also in college basketball with the Miami Hurricanes getting as far as they did in the Final Four but losing to Connecticut also. So, the state of Florida has been buzzing, or at least in Miami has been buzzing, and including we've just been talking about baseball with the Marlins and, and Arias. I don't even like saying his name no more. It's like, oh, I feel like I'm eating lemon. Um, now, as best as I possibly can, game five again, like the party at five. This, these are the parties at five. The, uh, the blow smoke state of Colorado is going to be partying at five pretty soon because I don't think Miami has what it takes to get out of Denver alive. Um, They went back home and lost two games back-to-back in which they had momentum, home court advantage, and everything. And Denver was like, oh, no, you don't. And we have the best player in basketball right now. And I I have to admit it now, Jokic is that guy. Um, (laughs) I don't even know what to say about this team because not only is he that good, it's like his energy is feasting off of everybody else too. Like the rest of the team is following him, and they know they have to step up. It don't have to always be him. And that's that's what I thought it could happen. The way to beat the Nuggets was to let Jokic go crazy and stop everybody else. Nope. Everybody else is going crazy. Aaron Gordon putting up a damn near 30-point night. You got Jeff Green hitting big buckets. Bruce Brown is coming up with big nights scoring over 20. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. And then outside of all of this melee, Jamal Murray is like the co-MVP. You don't even know if you want to go just total Jokic, even though Jokic is the – a big money, big name guy, but Jamal deserves as much credit as, as Jokic has, and um, I don't think there's a guard on Miami that could guard him. None of them. For even Jimmy, if you put Jimmy there, he's hitting shot after shot. 
fadeaways, everything that he want to do, he's getting a shot that he wants, and they are so focused. They're not getting caught up in the limelight. They're not falling for any other reporters' questions or statements to get them hyped about where they are right now. They are in tune to what's going on. They are primed for the championship, and they will be blowing smoke pretty soon in Colorado. That is for sure. I think this party is after five in both situations, whether it's in Vegas or it's in Denver, two of, two of the party cities in America will be partying pretty soon. Um, Mike, your thoughts on this situation where the Heat are facing elimination also? Do you think they could save themselves? They already won a game in game two in Denver. Can they win game five in Denver, or do Denver start dancing in the streets of Colorado? You know, it's the first time I've ever been to the finals, and now I think they're about to uh, climb all the way to the mountaintop. And I give credit to your Georgetown alum, uh, Mr. Jeff Green. Uh, you know, one thing that he did uh, after they lost game two and were heading back in uh, to Miami, you know, he had all the players and everybody over at his house. They had a big spread and lots of good grub and just kind of all hung out sort of as a team, as a family and spend time together just to kind of get their head uh, in the right place. And I think that probably helps some of these guys not get sucked into all the distractions and partying that is South Beach. You and I have talked about before that a lot of teams can get down there and get sucked into everything else and got their mind on everything except for basketball. Uh, but this Denver team definitely, you know, took it as a business trip and went down there to South Beach and handled their business you know, Jimmy Butler kind of put clamps on Murray in game two. Uh, they were able to adjust, as we talked about earlier this week. And then the interesting thing to me with Denver, um, and I'm going to go into this a little bit more in depth on another topic, but the interesting thing to me with, with Denver is this is a team. This is a collection of guys. It's not just about – you know, trying to put three stars on a team and, and, and make everything else work. You got Jokic, who they got as a second-round pick. You got Murray. And then – but a collection of guys. Jokic got in foul trouble. So, you know, Bruce Brown had the big fourth quarter. Um, so other guys are stepping up when needed for this team, and they are finding a way to get it done. Uh, there are guys on this Denver roster that I, I would say even the average basketball fan – hasn't even really heard of that are contributing for this team, which is something that you also see uh, in Miami. But at the end of the day, I think Denver just has a little bit too much horsepower. Uh, Miami gave their fans uh, a little bit of hope after winning game two and knocking Denver off for the first time at home. Uh, But, you know, the – they brought the Rocky Mountain air to South Beach and cooled off the heat in games three and four. And I think that uh, game five is going to be the clincher and is going to be the, the victory lap for the Denver Nuggets. And as you said, going to be a lot of smoke blowing uh, during that party uh, in Denver, Colorado. It's crazy because they just signed – Jokic to that $269 million deal. They just gave him that deal, and he stood up to that deal full throttle. Like, full throttle, brought that championship right to Denver, had an MVP season, uh, debatably so, even though we went to Embiid, um, 
he clearly showed that we were all wrong, including me just trying to throw me at the – I'm not even going to lie. The name that I threw wasn't even Embiid. I was throwing Giannis, the way Giannis stats looked. Like, Giannis stats was crazy enough, too. And um, Jokic was like, yeah, I'm going to just keep doing what I do. I don't have to enforce nothing. This dude is one of the more humble monsters in the world. Like, it's like the way that he play, I'd be talking a little bit of crap. Somebody going to hear me. Like, I'm – y'all not getting away with this. Like, and he keeps it so calm and – composed, and I, I think his brothers are more the gangsters than him because everybody's scared of the Jokic brothers. They're not scared, or they're scared of him on the court. But you get what I'm saying, and, and um, everybody on the team feeds off of him, man. Rightful leader. Um, couldn't be more better of a guy. You, you better uh, – if, if they do anything worse than what I'm thinking, they better split the MVP between him and uh, Jamal. If not, then that's clearly Jokic's. And um, – uh, I think it's over in five, and I didn't know about the situation that Jeff Green had. Uh, Jeff Green must have a house in Florida and kept them away from that distraction because I'm going to be honest with you. I really thought that's what was going to happen. After the Heat won game two, I was like, they're doing this to everybody in the playoffs. They're going into somebody's arena, stealing the game, and then making it theirs. And it's hard for these teams to go to South Beach and uh, keep their mind focused. Like, you're seeing clear skies, beautiful water, Beautiful people, you know, the atmosphere of, of vacation already. You're already thinking the season's ending. And um, whatever Jeff Green did, and that boy's smart. Now he's from Georgetown. That's a, that's a hell of a degree. That's a hell of a degree. You know, he went, he's smart. So whatever he did to have them, like, rally the truth to keep them probably in the dark as best as they can to not, you know, enjoy the beach and the strip and so much, so on and so forth, and them go out there and play well, and Jeff coming up with good defensive stops and shots and, they, they they survived every storm and come back and run. The Heat try to come through. Every time they try to come back, somebody hits a big three. Somebody hits a big three. Somebody hits a – I'm like, what in the world type of basketball is Denver up to? Denver is playing some great basketball. Malone, I tip my hat. As much as junk that I was talking about Spolster, I still think Spolster is the best coach in basketball, but Malone, you deserve some credit too. You do, and this is a coaching duel to the T. And I, I just think that you have more guns in the cavalry. I, I, <laughs> I feel like this is a – Neo versus Max Payne, and, and right now Max Payne is winning. <laughs> Shoot, I mean, as much as I want to give credit to what Spolster has done with the guns that he has, um, it, it's just so many guns in Max Payne's cavalry that you can't you can't be everything. You can't even even the rotational guys coming off the bench, they're coming in and giving them a spark. And you know, players like MPJ, you, you thought that he would never get his stuff together after all the injuries that he's gone through, and you forgot how dynamic this kid is, and he's impressive in this run right now. Um, Denver, you guys deserve it. Everything that you guys been through, I think it's over in five. If Miami could force game six and seven, that would be epic. But I, I don't think they get out of Colorado alive. It's over. I, I think they'll be dancing in the street. Shoot, I think Miami might party in Colorado before they get on a plane too. Um, that's just me, man. And I, I feel bad because Jimmy Butler's been doing well throughout this whole run. Bam hasn't even actually been bad. Bam has been doing as best as he can, but. It's a lot for him to have to try to score and go up against Jokic and stay out of foul trouble. And he's actually been putting pressure on Jokic on the defensive side of the ball. Jokic can't run as good as Bam can. So it's making it interesting, but they still need help to try and deal with everything that Denver's coming out there with. And um, it's been interesting, but for them to lose two at home, that is a punch in the gut. There's no air in the stomach any longer. And it's unfortunate that, I feel like this is going to close after five. The party begins after five, y'all. And this is in Vegas. 
and Denver. I, I need to be out west. I need to be west of the Mississippi. That That is for sure. Um, Mike, anything else before we get away from this? Okay, Mike, you might be having difficulty. Can you hear me? Yeah, my bad. I was talking on mute. Uh, no, we're we're good, man. I, f- I feel like we've uh, we've hit this topic really well. Uh, I I agree with you. I I think you're right. The the theme of today's show has been party in five, and I think that's what's about to happen. Okay, is there any topic that you'd like to cover before we start to close down the system? Yeah, I got one, man. Um, and you sent out something on this uh, last night to to the group. I'm hearing a lot of of talk about how LeBron James may be feuding with or at odds with Rob Palenka and all this uh, in L.A. And how, you know, he wanted to get Kyrie, he wanted to do this and that and figure out a way to make this run. Um, they almost messed up that roster when the players pushed hard to get – well, no, no, no. They didn't almost. They did when the players pushed hard to get Russell Westbrook. And I kind of feel bad for Russ because it wasn't really his fault. But you had three big contracts, and then you kind of had to just sort of throw together whatever ragtag bunch you could around them. And I said for a couple of seasons – that I didn't know how they were going to fix it. I said, the future looks really bleak to me in Los Angeles right now. And somehow Palenka and his basketball people, they were able to trade Westbrook. They were able to get some pieces in place. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, for the good and bad, but Austin Reeves, um, Vanderbilt, and... Mo Bamba and all, all the different guys that they were able to sort of bring in. And they actually had a team that looked competitive and looked like they had a really good roster. Uh, you never could have convinced me until late in this year that this team could have made the Western Conference Finals. And they did. So maybe things lined up just right for them with the turmoil in Memphis and Golden State not being a great matchup and whatever. But this team made the Western Conference Finals because they finally made some moves to try to bring in some pieces that would work for this for this team. And so you want to be, you know, I, I, I haven't heard LeBron specifically say this other than his comment about I got to take some time to think about my future and all this kind of stuff. But – Let's stop vilifying Palinka and and this Lakers team for trying to piece together a roster that would make things work when it you know looked like it was in shambles before that. Uh, to your point, uh, I respect LeBron James as a player and what he's brought to this league. Uh, LeBron James, you've never heard him in any kind of trouble or anything else from the time that he's gotten in this league. You also have read lots of stories about lots of great things that he has done to try to help less privileged people. 
to try to put together schools and you know his school and and providing uh, college opportunities and other opportunities for kids. He's done a lot of great philanthropic work, if you will, um, and, and he's done a lot a, a lot of great things on and off the courts. Uh, and so, I definitely have nothing but respect for the person uh that he is. But let let's get out of this like he's he's the greatest of all time or whatever else. And let's get out of this like feeling like, okay, well if you don't bring in Kyrie or whatever, I'm not coming back and whatever. At the end of the day, uh, it's a general manager's job to try to put together the best team he can um to try to compete not just to try to come up with two or three stars on a roster and think that's going to get it done. It's not. Um, and if, you know, you're not willing to work or if he is making waves, trying to vilify Lakers management and whatever else, then maybe it's time to, maybe it's time to move on. I, I don't know how this looks for like LeBron moving forward. They're talking about, Kyrie's trying to intrigue Cuban and the, the general management to try to get him to come down to Dallas or try to get Kyrie to come to L.A. Enough is enough, man. LeBron, when do you turn this on or off? And when I say on or off, when do you turn this on to stop looking for other players to come accommodate you and you take over? Or when do you turn this off and say enough is enough of this career because you're really just playing until your son gets here and then you're just going to quit and just be like, I'm passing the torch. It's like, yeah, okay, we, we get it. You like let your son be his own man, because if he doesn't play up to your ability, then you're kind of putting the biggest weight of the world on his shoulders. And I don't think he's going to be like you or like a Carmelo or like it. Like it's, he has some big shoes to fill. And it, I, we get lucky that there's guys like Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. that pass the torch and seen his son excel better than the father. You you got a big face and shoes to fill for Ronnie to come in here and deal with and um I think in all of the, the havoc that you wreaked in LA, it's only gonna get worse is these guys don't really have much to build off of. Like you guys have to work with what you got there and they're already talking about trying to dump some of these players because it's just not really working. I think Reeves is one of the names you keep. As much as young people will talk about AD Davis, you gotta keep A D because A D's young. I mean he's still in his twenties. Um but his body's been through everything and LeBron's gonna leave in I want to say one to three years um, when his son goes to college and if he's a one and done, I don't even think he's a one and done player, but of course he's going to be one and done because of his name of LeBron James. He'll be in the league just because of that. But um, what he's going to end up going to a, a bottom feeding team What LeBron is going to end up going to the wizards or, you know, some, a team that's fighting for life to to, to be better. Like, I don't even see that happening, but this is what it looks like. And in that goal comparison stuff, Mike was stuck with what he was stuck with. Him and Pippen and Grant for the first three, and then Grant ended up going to Orlando. Mike ended up retiring for a little bit and then coming back. And Mike came back to the Bulls. I mean, Kukoc was there, Longley was there, and then they ended up picking up Rodman and uh, Ron Harper. But it wasn't like a bomb squad. Like, LeBron needed big pieces uh, around them, whether it was in Miami and a loaded Miami Heat team or a loaded Cleveland Cavalier team, um, even with the pieces that they had in L.A. too, where, you know, Quinn Cook was on the bench, like, and I know Quinn. Like, you know, so this, like, this is, this is 
very intriguing on how they keep throwing this go conversation around. Enough is enough. I, I, LeBron is a legend and a great in his own right, but he is not the greatest. Like, like this has to stop. Let him be his own self and, and close his career out how and when he wants to, but let people be how they are. Um, he, LeBron is LeBron. He's not Mike. Mike is Mike. Mike ain't LeBron. And Kobe is Kobe. Like, let, let these guys put their name in cement how they need to do it. But it, no, I don't, I don't even think LeBron's going to close out the career well. Like, for them to have gotten to a Western Conference final, they got swept. And it was a fortunate run. Like, the way that Memphis was playing all season long, they went into the, the postseason without a big man. Steven Adams was injured. They had no big, really. Um, and with all of this melee that's around um, John Moran, John Moran can't get out of his own way. But I, and I know that's because he's fairly young, but he, he has to figure life out at this point in time. He's responsible for a lot of money, and he can do what he wants, but it's costing him at this point in time. Um, but nevertheless, we will see how the Lakers move forward. Um, a lot of questions need to be answered, especially going into this season, but at least in the next two to three seasons, what happens? I, I mean, do you really want LeBron to play 24 years of basketball? Like, that, that's what you guys are looking forward to? We'll see. I, I, don't, I don't know. All right, Mike, anything else that you have before we start to shut down the kitchen? No, nah, man, I think I'm good. Um sitting here watching um, Djokovic go for his uh, record-setting 23rd Grand Slam uh, at the French Open, trying to get that done. Uh, so... Listen, Serbia is having a run with Joker in the finals, and and now, uh, yep, and he just got it. So, twenty third straight, twenty uh, Grand Slam past Rafa Nadal uh, for uh, most Grand Slams ever in the sport of uh, men's tennis. So, a uh, big win for him. Serbia's had a run of uh, good fortune in the world of sports with Joker and now Djokovic is, as well. So uh, that just match just completed, and he just won the French Open. Congratulations to one of the most rangiest tennis players I've ever seen. Um, his dominance to me is almost like Pete Sampras back in the day. I was just talking about Novak the other day. Um, it's crazy for the feet that he's on at the age that he is and to cover the, the court as best as he can. Mike, give me a plug, close out, shout out, anything that you'd like to promote as we shut the doors here at the brunch. Man, as always, I like to begin all my plugs and closeouts, man, with um, with much love and respect to you, man, my brother from another mother. Without you, I wouldn't be part of this uh, with this of this Sports City Chefs family, man, and it's a, it's a pleasure and a privilege, and believe you, I don't take it lightly. Uh, listen, check out our blog, websites, everything we got going on. We got shows throughout the week. Uh, we got the callers cookout on Wednesday night. I'm not sure if we're doing a front office show on Tuesday or not. Roundtable gumbo on Thursday. The head honcho of Serious both came in and joined Chandler and myself on Thursday night. Uh, so we got that going for you on Thursdays as well. Uh, remember, you can listen to us on all your smart devices. Um, comes up in podcast form too So if you like and subscribe You'll be notified anytime we have a new episode to come up And listen that, that It's uh, it's word of mouth as well STP is going to tell you when we close out Don't take what he says lightly But uh, click, like, subscribe, follow us uh, Because of listeners There wouldn't be any reason for us to be doing this man But um, check out PHI Apparel PHIapparel.co Use that promo code CHEFS And check out to get 15% off and 
Until next time, man. Laissez-les-bon-ton Peace. Like he said, check us out throughout the week. We will be in here as much as possible, crammed in the week. Sports City, I have to apologize. This weekend will be very jam-packed for me, so there will be no brunch Sunday. I am in a wedding upstate New York, so no brunch next week, but I will be in here as best as I can. I'm trying to make up ground, trying to be in as many shows as I can because I got to talk my talk. I got to talk, man. I got to do what I got to do. I like to eat. I'm a big boy, man. Mom ain't raised no food, man. So y'all stay focused, stay around. Y'all stay healthy, stay safe. And, oh, yes, parties after five west of the Mississippi. If you got an extra ticket, come get me, (laughs) especially if you're going to Sin City, that is for sure. Sports City, on that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chef again. And if they don't know, now they know. Sports City, Sports City, chefs, chefs. Sports City, Sports City, chefs, chefs. Sports City, Sports City, chefs, chefs. Sports City, Sports City, chefs. Kaboom, Sports City chefs is in the room. Cooking up hot topics to put up on your spoon. They well in tune, blown like a flower in June. Superman vs. MF Doom, the clouds loom. So tell a friend it's the Sports City. Pay attention, tune in, we on the set again. Sports City, Sports City, Chef, you, Chef, you. Sports City, Sports City, Chef, you, Chef, you. Yeah. Cabby. Todd. Woo! Connecticut. Uh. <laughs>